It was pretty good, wasn't it? Okay, if you would please turn in your Bibles to the Acts of the Apostles. Acts chapter 22. I'll be reading Acts 22, verses 17 through 22. Paul, remember now, in the middle of his speech to the Jewish mob who tried to kill him. And when I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth. He should not be allowed to live. Blessed is the holy, infallible, inspired word of God through his servant Luke to us, to our minds, to our hearts, to our understanding this morning. Let's pray. Father, let us see why what we read. Let us all stand convicted along with those who wanted Paul dead and you dead. And let us stand joyful at the end, knowing that you willingly laid down your life as a sacrifice for undeserving sinners like us. Oh, let us revel in this gospel. To the glory of your holy name. Amen. So remember the context. A number of unbelieving Jews who are from Ephesus. They're there in Jerusalem in the temple. They saw Paul in the temple. They scream out and they, they get a bunch of people and other fellow Jews to come and they dragged Paul out of the courtyard that was for Jews only into the courtyard of the Gentiles and they are slugging him and they are kicking him almost to death when the Roman tribune saved his life and as he's going up the steps to be put into the jail he asked permission to speak to these people and the tribune gave him permission and so he told his testimony about his pre-Christian life and then his conversion to Jesus and they listened to him. But it was these words that broke the camel's back. It, it was these words that were horrific to their prideful, self-righteous ears. And the Lord, Jesus, told me, go, because I'm sending you far away to the Gentiles. And then they raised their voices away with him. He's got to die. That's our text. The question is why? Why? What Paul said here, he's proclaiming to preach salvation. He's proclaiming Jesus is the Messiah. And he's saying the Messiah said, go to the Gentiles. I'm going to save them. 
Why did they want him dead? The answer is clear. Because of sin. It's because of pride. It's because of ethnic, cultural, and religious elitism. That's why. Now, here's a huge question. Does that mean that the Jews are worse people than any other group then or now or throughout history? No. It's, it's just that, that God had chosen to use His people that He chose through Abraham, the Jews, as the example in order to demonstrate the depths of human sin and arrogance in everyone's heart from every tribe, every race, every ethnicity, every culture, every religion in order to demonstrate through them that he would have it written down. We call it our Old Testament in order to show all how desperate we are for mercy. For a Savior. So let's be clear here in the context. What angered this crowd of Jews so much was the implication that their Jewishness did not mean a hill of beans in being saved and going to heaven. That's why they're angry and they know what Paul is about. He is proclaiming that your Jewishness, that, 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 that is, you're practicing Jewish cultural and ceremonial mosaic laws does not make you worthy of God's mercy. It does not make them righteous or acceptable, bound for heaven. And that's why they're so angry. And that leads to the, one of the core aspects of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are a few. This sermon is not about unfolding the God-man who then sacrificed himself and made propitiation where our sins were imputed to him on the cross. And that his perfect righteousness is imputed to us who believe. And God raised him from the dead. Yes, we are saved by Christ alone, through grace alone. But now this aspect of what we read in our text causes us to focus on that other aspect now. Okay, great. Jesus went to the cross. Okay. Who's going to be saved? Only those. Jew or Gentile, who come to faith alone, totally apart from trusting in any works of the law. So to do that, I want us to spend our time this morning in the book of Romans. So if you turn to Romans we're going to start in chapter 3. And remember, at this, is it, at this juncture in Paul's ministry, it was essentially one year earlier than this episode in Acts that Paul wrote the book of Romans. He wrote the letter to the Romans. I want to look at verses 27 and 28 of chapter 3 to see why being saved by God's mercy in Jesus Christ happens to persons only by faith, apart from any works of the law. Paul writes, Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law is it excluded? By a law of works? No. But by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified 
by faith, apart from works of the law. Now the question is, why does Paul, when he starts talking about faith here, why does he put it up against boasting, pride? Now to get at that, that's just very briefly, really briefly, what Paul has done up to this point in Romans we know, right, in chapter 1, he indicts the entire world. Jew or Gentile, we are all born into sin, and by our nature, we suppress the truth that God is creator, and we are the creature, thus utterly dependent upon him for any and everything, but we deny it. And thus, we refuse to be thankful for all of His goodness and mercy and glory. That's chapter 1, right? And then he continues in chapter 1. He says, the way that that pride, because the reason we as sinners don't want to do that is because pride wants itself to be admired. Praise me a little bit. And then he shows us how that sin, how that pride works its way out in, we can say, the non-religious. Those who don't have the true God's word about what is right and wrong, etc. It, it essentially walks its way out by saying, I will be my own God. I will do what I want to do sexually. I will do what I want to do with my parents and I will live the way I want to live. Don't give me any rules or anything. That's chapter 1 of Romans. Then he goes into chapter 2. And he says, well, how does that same sin, that same pride, that same human fallen boasting, how does it express itself religiously? Particularly with those who have the right book. What do they do to the book in order to exalt their sin? In pride. And that's what he does in chapter 2. I mean, for example, he says in verses 23 and 24. You who boast in the law of Moses, you dishonor God by breaking the law. For it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, Jews. Then in chapter 3, verse 4, he says, well, what then? Are we Jews any better off by being born and raised as a Jew? Answer, no. Not at all. Why? Because we have already charged that all people, both Jews and Gentiles or Greeks, are under sin. And then he says in verses 19 to 20 of chapter 3. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped. And not just the Jews, but through their example, the whole world may be held accountable. To God. Why? Because by works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight. How come? Since through the law of Moses comes the knowledge of sin. His whole point is we're all sinners who are guilty and the law comes and what does it do? Justify you? No! It makes your condemnation clear. We all, Jew or Gentile, are justly condemned. And so the question is, how in the world could we somehow be made right with God, forgiven of our sins and viewed as righteous before 
him. That is, how can we, who at our core are arrogant and boastful and we're anti-God, how will God take us and justify us? Treat us as he does his sinless eternal son. That's the question. And the answer is the gospel. I'll just say it a little differently, which is the gospel is this. God accomplished our justification before him, our salvation before him, without our help. That's what Paul goes on to say in Romans 3, verses 21 to 26. God himself provided the redemption by giving his son, eternal son, and it is through Jesus' bloody propitiatory, wrath-appeasing death that he does it. And then he says, it is to be received, how? By faith. And that brings us back to where we started in Romans 3, verse 27, where Paul says, where's boasting? He raises the issue of boasting. Why does he do it? Because pride or, or having any reason to boast about any accomplishment of ours is the biggest problem in the human race. That pride, that arrogance, look at me, is actually the very essence and core of what sin is. And therefore, in salvation, God acted in history to save us from the penalty of our sin. But not just that. Ultimately, and none of us have attained to this yet, but we will one day if you're a believer in the resurrection. But ultimately, He came to save us from the essence of sin, namely Sinful, boasting pride. Namely, the pride that comes from the idea that I have independence from the Creator. I'm ultimate. That's what He came to save us from. And so He did it in such a way as not to involve us in the accomplishment of our salvation. Does it make any sense? And so the question is, Jesus, he goes to the cross, he dies for sins, he's resurrected from the dead, he ascends on high, and he sends his people out to preach the gospel. Okay, is everyone saved by that message? New Testament's clear, no. But many are. The question is, how will he connect those who are being saved by that message to Christ in order for them to? To be saved. And the answer has to be, he will do it in such a way that he will not be promoting the same sin he's delivering us from. Boasting. Pride. Independence. Because if he connected us sinners to Christ in order to be saved from our sin, the penalty of it, and ultimately the essence of it, he would be undoing the very cross. If he says, I'll tell you what now, Jesus, you can't be saved without him. He bore the penalty for your sin. Now let's see who's going to be saved by Christ. Here, let's do it this way. I just want, okay, first 10 people line up right here. And there's a hundred yard dash to finish line over there. The first four who cross that line, you are saved. The other six, sorry. You're going to remain condemned. Well, then those four have something to boast about in their salvation. And that would be antithetical to everything God has done in Christ. And so Paul, 
his answer to the problem, actually begin with the end of verse 26 in Romans 3. So that he, God, might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? Answer, it is excluded. Well, by what kind of law is it excluded? Is it excluded by a law of works? Answer, no. But it's excluded by the law of faith. For we hold that a person is justified before God by faith. Apart from works of the law. So is the law of God in Moses, is it a law of works? The answer is no. Paul means that if the law of Moses ever taught that you do these things, and if you do, you will be justified by me, then that would never have excluded boasting. And the law never taught that. And so Paul clearly says in verse 27 of Romans 3, that what excludes boasting from salvation, from justification, is that it comes to us not by any performance of ours in obedience to the law, but it comes to us by this thing that comes into us miraculously. By the Spirit called faith. I see it. I believe it. I trust in it. And that's what the law of Moses always taught. Then what becomes of our boasting? Is it, it is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works in order to be justified? No. But by a law of of faith, for we maintain, we hold that a person is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Now, you have to grasp that. Go deep with it and understand the problem with people like Paul before he became a Christian. You have to understand this in order to understand why there's such hatred for Paul and what he preaches. Such hatred for the true gospel in our context and throughout the centuries. It is this that drove the crowd to want to kill him. He should not be allowed to be walking around on the earth anymore. It is this teaching that drove Paul to seek out, kill, and imprison fellow Jews who taught that. If boasting is going to be excluded from justification before God, then salvation has to be not only by faith, but it has to be by faith, apart from any works of the law. See, this was the problem with many fellow Jews who came to faith in Jesus, confessed him as the Messiah, and they hated Paul's guts. We call them Judaizers. They didn't deny that you have to have faith in the Messiah. You, that you had, didn't, that, they didn't deny faith in Jesus of Nazareth. They denied that you can be saved 
by faith in Christ alone, without doing works of the law of Moses in order to get that justification or to maintain that justification. That's what they taught. If you mix faith and works of the law together as the means that connects you to Christ in order to be justified, you have taken what sounds close, so close to the gospel, and according to Paul in Galatians 1, you have made it no gospel at all. You have totally undone it. Let's read on in Romans 3. Next verse, 29 and 30. Because they help us understand this works of the law thing Paul's talking about. Or is God the God of Jews only? Answer, he is not the God. Excuse me, is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of course. He's the creator. He's, he's the God of Gentiles also. Since God is one, there's only one God. And he is the God who will justify the circumcised. How? By faith. And he will justify the uncircumcised through faith. God's not the God of the Jews only. If doing the works of the law of Moses is the way to be justified, then Gentiles who don't have Moses would be excluded. And then notice in verse 30, Paul he gives as an example just one of the works of the law that he's as an example, which is circumcision. So there's a work of the law. And he says, those who do this work, they will be justified. But not by or because of that work of circumcision. But they'll be justified by faith. And then he says, those who do not do that work of the law, before or ever, they will be justified by faith. Apart from them doing obedience to Moses' law of circumcision. This is why it's so relevant. In the context here, and it extrapolates out to all of us, a work of the law is anything you do besides faith with the motivation or with the purpose of I'm going to obtain a right standing with God. By my doing it. If you try to do anything else besides trust God's grace in Jesus Christ in order to get right with God, then you're doing a work of the law. And you still have grounds there to boast. Now, this is why, and look, I'm not a Roman Catholic basher, but I'm a teacher, and it's important. This is why the religious system in which I was raised in the Roman church, the sacramental system is laid out there is so deadly. It is codified faith plus works to the system. Now, continue on in Romans. Notice what Paul says next there in Romans 4, verses 4 to 5, because it helps explain why works of the law do not exclude boasting. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift. Literally, the word grace there. They're not counted as grace if you work for them, but as your due. It's your paycheck. You've earned it. 
and to the one who does not work, but believes. That's the verb form of faith. But believes in him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted as righteousness. That's the gospel we preach, Paul says. This is why Paul wrote to the Galatians who were being taught by Judaizers faith in Jesus. Paul got all that stuff right, but he forgot to tell you, you must now go on and add to your faith works of the law, particularly those Jewish laws, circumcision and kosher diet and festival and etc., etc. Of course you can't be saved if you don't go on and do that. And Paul says to those Galatians, I tell you, if you, meaning with that motivation, if you receive circumcision, Christ Jesus will be of no advantage to you. In fact, if if you go ahead and receive circumcision, you're obligated to keep the whole law. Go for it. And then he says these words. You have been severed from faith. You have fallen away from God's grace. Because grace can only be had, not by working like an employee who earns a paycheck, but by lying on a surgeon's table. You're the only one who can save my life. I allow you. I trust you. Do it. To reword the same thing that Paul is saying. He's saying, Galatians, if you receive circumcision and practice kosher diet and attend church every Sunday and decide, I'm not going to steal anymore and I'm not going to lie and you keep yourself free from sexual sin and you give 10% of all your income, if you do these things as a way of obtaining justification or as keeping it, then what you get is not grace, but debt. You'll get what is your due. Because our working, the worker always gets the glory. My kids know I love trash day. I just love to see that trash truck take all that trash away. And the guy driving that truck, and that company has a right to say, you're welcome. Yeah, and I want to say thank you. Yeah, we say it with the money we pay him too, but thank you. Or you're in a restaurant. The chef can boast. I cooked you that great meal. Yes, tell the chef. Give him my compliments. It was fantastic. The surgeon who does open heart surgery on you is the worker and he gets the praise. He gets the gratitude. He saved your life. All glory to him. But a Christian in relationship to God as a Christian, we are never the surgeon. Ever. We are always the patient and we wake up on that table oh thank you jesus i trust you dr jesus you saved my eternal life i owe you all my gratitude all glory to you i now and forever have nothing to boast in Oh, except this. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord Jesus. Boast in the cross. That's the gospel. Because faith does not call attention to itself. By definition, if it's true faith. Faith 
calls attention to the grace and the expertise and the goodness of the one that it trusts. That's why we're saved by faith alone, totally apart from any works of the law. Now, does that mean that the gospel came in order to destroy the law of Moses? Okay. Now, the law of Moses is a little complicated because, you know, on the one hand, you say, you know, don't mix the milk with meat. Don't make a garment out of this made with that. Don't eat shellfish. And then don't murder, etc. So here, I'm going to rephrase the question a little bit differently. Is Paul saying that when the gospel came, it came to destroy the ethical and the moral commands of the law? Like love the Lord your God, honor your mother and your father, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, and do not covet. Did it destroy that? The answer is no. Just read on, verse 31, chapter 3, Romans. Do we overthrow the law by this faith that he's preaching in Christ? The answer is no, by no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. What I think Paul is driving at, and what he says there is this. What the law of God requires, we will do if we pursue it by faith. Trusting in him is the patient always, and we pursue it by faith as those who know and are already justified already forgiven of sins, already declared perfectly righteous, not by any righteousness that we have done, but by someone else's, the Lord Jesus. And through the very first moment that we believed, I believe, Jesus, you cry out, Abba, Father. At that very instant, you were justified. Once and for all time. And now you go on living by faith. If you respond, in other words, to God's commands without a heart of trusting the doctor, but instead is if, oh, there's a job task. Okay, my employer, God gave it to me. I will go do that because he's, he's needy. Evidently, he needs me to not do this and he needs me to do that. So I'm going to help him out there. That is so arrogant and so boastful. And by its definition, it is a sinful approach to God. As if you could earn God's good will to you. And when one approaches even God's moral laws that way they break the law they are actually giving an exposition of their own sinfulness through the law what I mean is this that is exactly what Paul was all about before he came to faith in Christ. That is what all these Jews in that courtyard screaming for Paul's death are all about. This man should not be allowed to live. Now, turn over with me just a few more pages to Romans 9 and hear Paul on this. Romans 9, Paul, beginning with verse 30, <coughs> writes, What shall we say then? Because they preach the gospel, and he goes to Jews first, and some Jews 
small percentage believe. And he goes to the Gentiles, and a larger percentage believes. This is what's happening in his ministry. What, what shall we say then? Here it is. The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness. Okay, think about this. Pause. Think about Jesus' ministry and why he is constantly in the face of very theologically uh, zealous Jews, the particular theological sect of the Pharisees. Why is he so harsh with them? They're pursuing righteousness. You know, they, they, what are you doing, wine-bibber? You didn't wash correctly. They're pursuing it. Okay, watch. What shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness couldn't have cared less. It's living as pagans and the gospel comes. And what's happened? They've attained righteousness. That is, a righteousness that comes to them by faith. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? He answers it. Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as if, meaning it never was, as if it were based on works. They thought, Paul thought they're doing mosaic laws earns them God's grace, righteousness. Puts them in a place of you're righteous and the stinking Gentiles are unclean. Biblical saving faith, whether it's before Christ with Abraham, David, Caleb, Jeremiah. Biblical saving faith removes any valid grounds for boasting. Childlike, daddy, dependence of the four-year-old. Childlike trust in the free promises of God purchased by the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That trust receives God's grace of justification. It does it by that faith alone. That's biblical Christianity. And that is what is so offensive to us sinners in our sin and in our pride. It's what is so offensive to Paul before he was born again because he was deceived into thinking he was pursuing God and all he was doing is storing up wrath bigger and bigger on the day of wrath. This is how Paul Talks about his own life. This is what he says in, in Galatians 1. Before Christ. You've heard of my former life in Judaism. That is this. He's going to define his Judaism. How I persecuted the church of God violently. And I tried to destroy it. That's his Judaism. And he says, I wasn't a bad Jew. He says, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people because I was so extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. And he writes it this way in Philippians 3. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, tell you how much I, religious I was, I was a persecutor of the church. That was a badge of pride to him. 
as to righteousness under the law. I was blameless. That's who Paul was. That's who this crowd is. But then Paul goes on. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth or value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've abandoned that approach to God. I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as trash in order that I may gain Christ and I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from my doing law. But that righteousness which comes to me through faith in Christ. That is the righteousness from God as a gift that depends on faith. That's the gospel. That's why they want him dead. Faith removes all grounds for any genuine, valid boasting. And so, through every age and today, there is a default deception embedded in most people. That they assume that by trying to live a good life, sinning a little less and definitely avoiding the big major ones, that will be my ticket to heaven. And this happens in every religion and with many church-going people. They rest their confidence on the works they have performed. It's an empty hope. Because we are all born into sin. And as sinners, what we have done is incurred a just punishment in wrath. When God gave the law of Moses, it was mercy. The law was mercy. Pointing out sin and guilt. That's what it was for. It was never meant like what Paul did and like what this crowd has done. It was never meant to be turned into a ladder in which you would climb your way into heaven or justification. And therefore righteousness, it can never, ever, ever, ever be achieved by trying to obey God's laws and trying to be better or gooder. We can only possess righteousness before God by trusting in the righteousness of Jesus himself. His perfect human obedience to God and his law, which is available to anybody will have it, receive it by faith. Alone. Don't add to it. By faith alone. And that faith alone is what connects us to Christ. And thus in him we have the righteousness we will ever need. And therefore there is no boasting. Except in the cross of Christ. If we turn away from all grounds of boasting and we get made right with God, our Creator, who is holy, and we are sinners, but we get made right with Him by receiving His Son's perfect righteousness as a gift, and we do it by faith alone, and then we go on living by that faith, in Him, we live in that freedom of the Holy Spirit. We live in the reality that we have been 
Romans 5.1, justified. We have been made righteous before him legally. If we go on doing that, we will be changed. We will be being changed from the inside out, from one degree to another. We will be growing in our love for the moral law of God and what it requires. Not as works of the law, but as the fruit of faith. As the Apostle Paul writes in Galatians 5. For in Christ Jesus, hear the work of the law here, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. But what counts for everything, it's only faith, which works itself out in loving others as its fruit. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, for your sinful nature, but through love serve one another. For the whole law of Moses is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. All the fruit of those of us who have been justified by our faith in Christ alone. And that faith alone says, it is not I, but through Christ in me. Faith alone sings as we will sing in a minute. What gift of grace is Jesus, my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I hold my hope is only Jesus, for my life is wholly bound to His. Oh, how strange and divine. I can sing, all is mine, yet not I, but through Christ in me. No fate I dread, I know I am forgiven. The future sure, the price, it has been paid. For Jesus bled and suffered for my pardon, and he was raised to overthrow the grave. To this I hold, my sin has been defeated. Jesus now and ever is my plea. Oh, the chains are released and I can sing. I am free, yet not I but through Christ in me. Let us stand and sing it.